And first, a quick word from our podcast sponsor. FactSet delivers superior data, analytics, and flexible technology to help more than 170,000 users see and seize opportunities sooner. For over 40 years, we have given investment professionals the edge to outperform with informed insights, workflow solutions across the portfolio lifecycle, and industry-leading support from dedicated specialists. Through market changes and technological progress, we're proud to have been recognized with multiple awards for our analytical and data-driven solutions, while staying connected to our clients and each other. Learn more at www.factset.com. Hello, and welcome to the Sustainability Story. I am Andres Vinelli, the Chief Economist at CFA Institute, and I'm today's host. We are recording live from New York City from the CFA Institute Climate Conference. And today, we're honored to have Brian Mintz uh, as a guest. Um, he's a noted professional in the field of responsible investing. He's currently the Managing Director of Responsible investing at University Pension Plan, UPP, which is a consortium of three uh, universities. And he is responsible for integrating uh, into their perspective um, sustainable uh, finance considerations. He has a master's degree uh, in environmental studies. Um, he's also a, a me mechanical engineer. Um, and um, he holds a Sustainable Investment Professional Certification. He has over a decade of experience in responsible uh, investment. And he's also the co-founder and co-chair of the Canadian Responsible Investing Working Group. Uh, and he has made invaluable contributions at CFA's ESG Technical Committee. Uh, with that, we turn to Brian. Brian, thank you so much for being here with us. We uh, appreciate the contributions to the industry uh, in various shapes, inc including being part of uh, some technical committee yeah. at CFA Institute uh, on ESG-related matters. That's greatly appreciated. And you have an interesting, um, somewhat unique background that marries um, financial analyst type uh, of uh, backgrounds with um, and more of an engineering uh, um, perspective. Um, how did you become interested in responsible investment matters? What's the story there? Yeah, it's it's quite a journey. So I, I yeah, so I'll go way back. So high school, math, science, pretty good, pretty interested in it. So what do you do with math and science? You can be a mathematician or a scientist or I want to be a bit more hands-on. So, okay, engineering. Engineering makes sense. Great. Came out of school, did that. Not not hard engineering for a few years, more sort of business process engineering. Pretty interesting. But if I go back to my roots, my, my dad actually is a scientist, and he actually is a contributing author to one of the IPCC reports on climate change. So this is a, you know, he's... He it was runs studied, in the family. It runs in the family. We've been at this for a while. So I was like, you know, I think I want to do this in my day job. I don't want to just think about it on the side. So I went back to school, did the environmental studies degree, thinking I would come out being sort of a corporate social responsibility type person within a corporation. So this is a number of years ago. So that was kind of what I thought. 
go in there. And then I had the great fortune to see someone from Innovest Strategic Value Advisors came and spoke at one of my classes. So Innovest is one of the early ESG research houses. So along with KLD, Jancy Research back in the day. And I was like, whoa, this is, this is interesting. Because they were talking about not just analyzing ESG factors, but they were talking about the role of finance and how, how important that was. So I was like, I really want to do that. So I got an uh, um, internship with them. That was great. I took a course also with Jane Ambixure, who was uh, who worked at Mercer, the investment consulting house, and uh, had the great fortune of getting a, a job within the investment consulting world after that. So from there, CFA, I want to touch on that for an instance, because this was a long time ago that I was getting started and I was really passionate about these issues. And I thought, you know, the, the financial industry needs to pay more attention to these issues. But I could al already see like me, okay, engineer, whatever. I didn't do economics. I didn't do finance. People aren't going to take me seriously. I bet it felt a little lonely, right? Back then. It, it was, you know, there were probably less than two handfuls of people at say in pension funds that were focused in this area. There were probably less than one handful of people at asset managers in Canada at the time focused in this area. So I, I thought, I think I need to do the CFA, both to help the program, to help myself build my knowledge in this area, but also to sort of get over the, hopefully, the credibility hump that I might encounter when I met with people in the industry. And uh, the rest is history, as they say, but do you think that today we have a critical mass of professionals in the in the industry that understand uh, the basics of this topic, or is this is this still quite a lonely place to be in your experience? Uh, I think there's kind of two parter answer to that. I think there's a lot of people who are interested in this space, that are interested in climate change, that are interested in diversity, equity, and inclusion. There's a lot of people interested. There's not as many experts in, in terms of actual practical application to investment decisions, say. So people want to do the right thing and they want to incorporate these things into how they invest. But I think there's still some work to do in terms of application and putting actual effort into it. And I think, you know, CFA is helping with that through the, the ESG certificate course, for example. This is very much in the forth of our mind, but uh, one of the interesting things, in my opinion, about your journey is you, you co-led the, the, the Canadian Responsible Investing Working Group. So how did that come about? So I can't even remember the year that we started that, but it was, it, it, the very first meeting was in a small boardroom, and I think there were maybe 14 people that, that showed up. This is, this is obviously pre-pandemic, so we're all there in person. Hei Wang Kong was someone, she had recently come to uh, Toronto from the UK, and she brought over you know, a, a kind of a different perspective that the people that were kind of had similar roles to me uh, didn't really have, or we were, we were searching for, I guess. And she kind of came into the to the area she went around met with all the different people and was like and then we were chatting and we're like we really ought to bring people together to talk about these things we all we all have common challenges we all have you know similar sorts of objectives but we're we're like you said we're, we're not lonely but each of us are one two two people in all these different organizations and we're all negotiating and dealing with with many of the same challenges so let's come together and chat so we started to come together uh 
on a quarterly basis. We got together, we'd have breakfast, and we started to get into like, okay, what are we, what are we trying to achieve here? Um, and then it actually, what we're trying to achieve is just having a safe place to talk amongst each other. And, and that turned out to be the focus of the group for a long time was just, let's make sure we get together and have a chat. Uh, there were some some working groups that that spun out of that and sort of came up with certain things. So uh, there was some work around disclosure. So what sort of disclosure should asset owners expect of managers? So that was kind of a working group. There's a lot of work around climate, put on a few different events, for example, for the industry. But it always came back to, you know, when we scheduled out our time, it was like, okay, there's a big, long time for breakfast and chatting. And people show up at the beginning of that because they just want to talk to people and 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 you know, either commiserate or, or celebrate wins with each other. Um, so it's just great to have that, that open dialogue. Interesting, because sometimes it's difficult to sit down with, with folks who are in the same value chain, up or down, or competitors in the area, and get the folks to, to talk in, in, a, in a safe manner about emerging problems that are difficult to, to first have common language around and then develop uh, metrics. So any lessons in, in, in your experience trying to do that? Uh, you know, having been in this sort of responsible investing sustainability space for a long time, I, I always find people are pretty open and, I, and people want to chat. So there's, you know, you can often just reach out to someone. You might read a report or, or something that someone wrote and you think that's fantastic. If you reach out to that person, you say, I think that was fantastic what you did. They'll write back to you and you can start up a conversation, you know? So I think people are pretty open to this and people who are focused in this area tend to be open because yes, they want to do their job and they want to do well for their beneficiaries, but they often have sort of a wider view of the world as well and want to see everyone be successful. Amazing. And and so you've done a lot um collaborating with folks in the industry. And can you tell us a little bit mo more about the, about your shop? What kind of factors do you take into account? Would you, I understand that you, you're in the pro investment process and UPP and, and trying to incorporate some of these important factors into their considerations. How, how, how does that uh, work? Yeah, so university pension plan, we're only, you know, at the time that we're talking, we're less than two years old. So we're a very new pension plan. Uh, but we came into life with some existing assets and liabilities. So uh, three different universities and then a fourth one joined, all brought investments to the table, relationships with investment managers uh, that, that we got to know over the past year and a half, so to speak. And so uh, we're almost exclusively externally managed. So when we think about ESG factors, we're thinking more about how do our partners deal with these issues rather than uh, us ourselves dealing with them? We're not selecting individual securities, for example, where we have partners who are doing that. So that's very much the focus of our activity is evaluating and working with our partners on improvement. So we'll go down the chain. We've, we've developed a rubric, sort of a scoring um, system where we can go through and identify to what extent our partners meeting our, our let's call it rather lofty expectations. So we kind of come at it more from an absolute approach. And we think about the firm, so what kind of supports do investment teams have internally? We think specifically about process, investment processes, and the people who are actually responsible for investment decisions. 
What sort of knowledge do they have? What sort of tools do they have? And then we think about the outputs and outcomes. So that can be everything from what's in the portfolio. So we, we have some tools at our disposal to evaluate portfolios, but also what sort of outputs and outcomes are occurring. So stewardship, for example, if they're responsible for proxy voting on our behalf, how is that going? What does their policy look like? How are they executing on their policy? If there's, uh, we really like to see outcome-focused engagement activity for public managers, how does that work? How do they set targets? How do they keep track of activity in support of uh, sustainability-related improvements or sustainability-related disclosure improvements? So we're really focused on that relationship with our investment partners, and we really want great partners who want to work with us through this journey. It, 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 I imagine it's a challenging journey because we're trying to come up with the right uh, disclosures, corporate disclosures, so folks that you hire to select securities can be more accurate in how they measure the risk and opportunities for each individual security. Um, there's There might be issues on how you know whether um, the firms that you select actually do what they claim they're doing, and that's um, even if folks try very hard, it's it's difficult to tell uh, whether they're truly incorporated in the investment uh, process. There's the issue of fiduciary. Have you had any encounters of people saying, well, um, from a fiduciary perspective, we cannot do what you want us to do? Is that a Has that been a thing for, for you? No, be, because the lens for all of this work is how do we make sure we can pay our beneficiaries the benefits that they expect at the cost that they expect, right? So we don't want to in increase contribution rates, but we do want to pay the benefits people expect. So that's always the lens that we're using when we're having these discussions. We only, we want these practices because we believe they will help uh, us be a better investor because we, we think they will help our our partners be better investors. And we're, we're cognizant of the differences so that depending on the investment strategy, there are different tools and levers that, that the teams have at their disposal, right? If we, if we have a passive equity strategy, we don't obviously expect any sort of ESG integration. That's, a, that's absurd. Uh, but we do expect stewardship. And in fact, we really want to see stewardship at the public policy level because if we're investing in a broad market uh, through a passive strategy, the movement of the market matters a lot to us as opposed to the single individual companies within the market. That's fascinating. So so even for passive instruments, the voting should be consistent with what you demand from them. Is, is that How does that conversation go with, uh, <laughs> with, with, with those players? Uh, it's, it's good. It's good because we, we, because we come through that lens of, we think this can help provide us with better outcomes for the long term. Like, okay, I th you know, we're on the same page. This is good, good start. And then if we talk about why we would want a better governance practices, they could generally agree with that. So if or we talk about why independent boards are important, they can sort of generally agree with those things piece by piece. So maybe that all adds up to a certain approach to voting, but really it's a bunch of really manageable, understandable reasons why we want certain things. So I think, and we're definitely willing to meet partners with where they're at, but what we want is this philosophical alignment for them to, when we talk with them, to them to display to us that they kind of see what we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it and that we can grow together and get better and better at it. 
That's wonderful. So let's assume that it, you talk with the with with that partner and and there's alignment. There's you're you're in lockstep, and then they go and and try and select securities according to the mandate that that you gave them. Um, how um, concerning is the issue of greenwashing? And in, in th that has a little bit of a negative con connotation, but more uh, generally disclosure quality by issuers of securities. Uh, people are out there trying to disclose, and I, I would assume in a truthful manner, what's, what's, what's going on, but those disclosures are all over the place. They're not perfectly comparable. Um, and, and, and who knows whether those disclosures are uh, reflecting what truly goes on within the corporation. So how concerned are you about disclosure quality? I, I am, I, how to phrase this? I really want good, I want accurate disclosure. I would rather hear uh, from, a, from a partner, you know, we are concerned about the energy transition, but, and we've started our research, we're not done yet, we haven't totally wrapped our head around it but we're doing this and that, and we're hoping to improve our processes in the future in line with the mandate uh, to address that. I'd rather hear that than, oh yeah, yeah, don't worry, we've, we've got a climate policy, here's, here's the carbon footprint report, see, we've taken care of it. Uh, mm, that's not enough. You know, I, I, I don't want reports and anecdotes. I wanna know from the investment decision makers that they, they really fundamentally get it and they're trying to address these things over time. So progress towards perfection is better than, you know, trying to appease us by providing information that may not be all that meaningful. Can I just add to that one? Yeah. So the one additional piece is the, the work that I, that I have been very fortunate to work with, with the, ES, uh, with the CFA Institute around the ESG disclosure standards. And like taking this idea of ESG this term ESG or sustainable investing, responsible investing, and, and breaking it into the component pieces and really understanding exactly what people mean when they talk about ESG or sustainable or responsible. It's really about understanding those proxy voting, outcome-focused stewardship. Are there actual uh, exclusions? Are there portfolio-level objectives in terms of metrics or objectives? So really under breaking it apart and saying, really tell us exactly the bits and pieces of the process and how those uh, how those are being applied to our mandate. Is it uh, fair to say that a lot to be done, but we're walking a path that gets it to a more precise place in, in understanding and decomposing the E, the S, and the G, even if we don't use those words or those letters? I, I think so. I think it's, it's encouraging the level of discourse and the sophistication how it is seem, seemingly improving. So, um, and, and getting to the core of the actual the issues that matter to investors, uh, I think it's it's really encouraging, and we are on the right path. There's going to be some more bumps along the way, but there's been a lot of pledges net zero. We will do net zero. We'll get there in X number of years. Um, do you? Are we on the right track? Do you see any big? Um, obstacles that we need to handle as, as an industry? Yeah, in terms of our journey towards net zero, I think there are a lot of obstacles ahead of us. Um, you know, we have 
dramatic, dramatic improvements to make in terms of emissions performance globally. We need emissions to peak. We need them to decline very, very, very rapidly. So people are talking net zero by 2050, but, but those targets were anchored in, you know, several years ago and with the belief that maybe we'd start to do something, you know, but we haven't. Emissions are continuing to increase. Uh, the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere is increasing. Uh, the concentration of methane in the atmosphere is increasing. Like these, these trends have not even peaked yet, and we have to go rapidly, rapidly down towards uh, 50, 60 percent lower by 2030, and and net zero. You know, 2050 is not going to cut it, given the amount that we've emitted in the past few years alone. So there's a lot, there's a there's a lot of challenges, and I think from a industry, the finance, like we're not we're not the industry to solve this. We have to enable this transition to occur. And we need to be very, very encouraging of that transition um, to, to, to help make sure that it does. And beyond our industry, um, do you have any views on what are the, the, the main things that government should do uh, to step in? Yeah, we need to use every lever that we have available to peak and then reduce emissions quickly. So uh, carbon pricing. So uh, in Canada, we have a price on carbon that's ra rapidly escalating towards 2030, towards $170 per ton. Um, we need regulations around those high emitting sectors. So, you know, the city that I live in has uh, green building standards. Those are set to ratchet up quite a bit over the next, even just the next five or six years towards that, that standard of net zero for building. So we need regulatory intervention, we need uh, pricing on carbon, we need all of these things uh, really to help internalize this, this the, the, the potential costs of, of, of climate change and so that we all address it in the decisions that we get to make. It takes a village or, or a whole world perhaps. Um, do, you, do you have a, a view on carbon offset markets? Is that a tool in the box, or is it something that that distracts from progress? So, in terms of offsets and, and what role they play, I think we well we need removals is what we need. We need to be removing carbon from the atmosphere. That's in you know even in these net zero, the net and net zero is about removing. It's not about emitting less. It's about actually removing emissions from the atmosphere, uh, but while we develop those technologies, it's going to be a whole lot easier if we have less to remove in the future. So we have to drive emissions down as quickly as possible. And at the time when we have some residual emissions, when there are sectors where we just can't figure out a technological alternative, or the alternative is just in, in you know, crazily expensive, we're going to have to think about taking that carbon out of the atmosphere and sequestering it permanently. So definitely a role for it. Uh, you know, we've got a net zero commitment ourselves. We know it's got to be a part of the solution, but uh, we're, we're a pension fund. We're very unlikely to be in the business of buying credits and retiring them. We're going to look to invest in some solutions. So we talked quite a bit about um, the E in ESG. Uh, if we can shift gears for a minute about the, the social and the government, the governance uh, dimensions of this, um, what are the, some of the factors that, 
that you think about uh, when you engage um, on the S on the and the G? Yeah. So I think you know I I kind of feel like this term that I've heard more recently, you know, is the poly crisis. Is we have we have lots of different crises happening at the same time. Climate, yes. You know, there's food issues, there's water issues, there's inequality is a really core, core issue, which, again, has the ability to impact all these other issues as well. We need to be increasingly thinking about these systems and the inter interconnection of, if we want this thing to happen, these other things are going to have to happen as well. And some of those are social issues around inequality or, or um, racial equity which we have not addressed as a society and that we have a lot of work to do and we won't be able to, you know, quote, fix our problems unless we kind of address a lot of these issues simultaneously. It's, it's interesting and, and also tragic that, that um, the communities that are most, uh, tend to be most disfavored because of environmental disruption could also be disfavored if we, uh, if we, are not careful in how we mitigate and transition into uh, a more sustainable future. So, so that that should certainly be part of the the conversation, in, in my view. Now, um, we are uh, closing um, with one question that I have for you: Is in, do you have a call for action in this area? Uh, I have lots of calls for action ah, okay. around what to do around <laughs> sustainability and investing. Um, I, I, the main call to action is get started. It, it's don't don't wait to have a perfect plan. Don't wait to have perfect data. We don't need at perfect anything. We just need to take the initial first step. So if you're an asset owner and you're not sure where to start, uh, just start asking your external investment managers about some of these things. How are they thinking about environmental issues? How are they thinking about climate change? Just get the conversation started. Um, if you're an asset owner, there's tons of networks out there of other like-minded asset owners that you can work with, Net Zero Asset Owner Alliance. Um, there's uh, Ceres, Investor Network, Climate. Like, the, the, whether you join them or not, there's all kinds of resources available to people out there to just take take the practices that are available, take the different pathways, take a you know, there's a playbook for putting together you know climate action plan. There's a playbook for due diligence. There's everything available. You don't have to reinvent it. You just have to take one of those things and get started. Brian, thank you so much for sharing your story. We will continue this conversation in various forums, but uh, the Sustainability Story podcast is certainly one of, of those. So thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for the substantive contributions uh, to the industry. Thank you for your volunteering with the CFA. That's much appreciated. And that's it for today's episode. All right. Thanks very much. Much appreciated. Thank you.